What a privilege for me to be here in your church. What a wonderful... You know, I, I go to many, many churches around the world. And I go in, and I've never been in them before, and so I walk in, and I'm just trying to get a sense. What, what is this church like? Uh, but what a wonderful spirit in this place. What a wonderful worship. And, and it was a delight uh, to meet your pastor today and his wonderful family. What a blessing. And, and then to meet many of the staff here at this church. I... I, I can tell just by the, the leaders, the staff here, people serving, that this is obviously God has gifted you as a church. And I just sense that uh, there's some amazing things waiting for you just ahead. With God, His best always is ahead, not behind. And so you may, I know this has been a wonderful church in the past, but hold on, the best is still to come. And God is putting everything in place. And so I'm very excited for you as, as you... Um, and I, I apologize to you. I, I've been in South Africa. This is about my eighth trip to South Africa. So I've been here many times. And I've, I've been to Cape Town area many times. Uh, but I've never been here before. And, and this is my last night. I'm, I'm going from here to the airport. And a 15 or 16 hour or so flight home. Uh, I've got to, I have to go to the funeral home as soon as I get back. Because my father passed away yesterday. Unexpected. He was old, but he, it was unexpected. I, I spoke all yesterday morning, went back to my hotel, and I was getting messages from my staff saying, how are we going to let everyone know about your father's passing? And I didn't know my father had passed yet. So that was how I found out yesterday. And so uh, I appreciate your prayers for that. But I, I had told them, if I'm going to spend 12 days in Africa, I'm going to get tired. It's going to, it's, you know, it's going to be busy. So I want you to save the very best for last. <laughs> and so I'm so grateful they sent me here because that will be a great way to just a lasting impression as I go to the airport. Uh, it, you know, I didn't know my father was going to die yesterday. Um, and, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are. When you lose your father, you don't have a chance to go back and say goodbye. I'm so grateful. I, uh, the last day that I could, I went by. I took my two grandsons, and we brought him his favorite thing to eat. And I let my grandsons give it to him. And I took pictures of his two oldest great-grandsons. And I'm his oldest son. And we took pictures. And the last thing I said was, Dad, I love you. And I, had no, I thought I'd be able to tell him that when I got back. And God just reminded me, every time you part from someone, don't, make, don't leave anything unsaid. Don't leave anything undone. Uh, if you have something to say, you say it now, because you don't, you're not guaranteed another opportunity. And so I, before I ever knew about what was going to happen with him, I had, I had planned to just to tell us, uh, begin with a story about him. And so uh, when, when, when I was born, uh, we, 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 my father's a Canadian, but he... Uh, went to school in California. He met my mother, uh, who's an American, and they got married and they started having beautiful children. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and we had a wonderful church, much like this. It was just a sweet spirit and God was working. We had a, a nice home to live in. I loved the backyard. I played in, in it for hours. and I, I had a good school and I, I had a, a many friends at school. And, uh, and then one day... My, my, my parents called a meeting, and they said, we're going to move. We're leaving here. And I was only eight years old, but I asked, well, why are we moving? We have a good life. And he said, because there's a small little church in Canada with only ten people left, 
And they're actually trying to disband, the, they're, they're trying to sell their property and just stop being a church. But they heard about me and they thought, before we quit the church, we'll try one more time to see if anyone will come and help us. And he said, so sons, we're going to go. And I thought, why would we go there? <laughs> but he said, because God has spoken. And once God speaks, you have no choice but to obey. He said, so we're going to go. And we moved to Canada, and the, the, the house was not nearly as nice as the house we had in California. It, it would get down to 40 to 45 degrees below zero in temperature. Uh, the school, I had difficulty making friends in that school. It was difficult. Um, but my dad just kept saying, but just keep looking to see what God is doing. Because even when life is hard, God is still at work. And whether you can see what God is doing or not, it doesn't mean God's not working. And so I just, we, my dad didn't even realize it, but he was just learning how to experience God. My People warned my dad and said, if you go to Canada, your children, you'll never be able to send them to university. Your children will suffer if you go to Canada. And my father said, my, my children will suffer if I disobey God. I want my children to watch what it looks like to follow God wherever he leads. Uh, and eventually, my dad wrote uh, the famous book, Experiencing God. Everybody kept saying, Henry, we've never seen anyone walk with God the way that you do. And, uh, and tell us how to do that. You need to write that down. And my father would never write the book. He didn't, he didn't think he had time. He wasn't an author. They finally just took an, an editor and they said, follow that man around everywhere he goes and write down whatever he says. We've got to get that, we've got to get that into a book. And uh, we, my father had never written a book. He was just, he, he didn't, no one expected much to happen. But that book in English has sold over 8 million copies. And, uh, and it's in 80 different languages. We don't even know how many it's sold there. I've been in Beijing, China. And had people tell me how that book changed their life. I've been in Cuba. I've been in Muslim countries. And had people tell me they started a church in a Muslim country because they went through experiencing God. And no one had any idea when my father just simply said, I'll go to a church in Canada with 10 people that God could do so much. In 2006, uh, my dad was invited uh, to go to the White House. This is the East Room of the White House. That's George W. Bush. And... Uh, and I, we were all invited to go with our dad. So I'd, my dad has met four Ameri- or had met four American presidents, but uh, I got to go with him on this trip. All my brothers, my, we had a sister once we moved to Canada, so there's five of us. And I'm sitting in the East Room of the White House. I'm watching my dad, who's a Canadian, shaking hands with the President of the United States. And I just, all my brothers and I thought, what if our father and mother had never gone where God told them to go? What if they said, God, you're asking too much. God, you're asking too great of a sacrifice. And many times the Bible tells us, if God speaks, you should count the cost of what it will take to obey. But don't forget to count the cost, what it will cost you if you don't obey. And it always, always costs more to stay where you are than to go with God. There is a cost. There is a cross to follow Jesus. But there's a bigger price to pay if you do not. And so I want you to look at a, a story tonight with me for a moment. It's just out of Genesis 12. But it's a passage that you will be very familiar with. You'll know this well. But, but sometimes, don't you love that when you're reading a story in the Bible that you know well and then you realize there's a whole bunch of things there you've never seen? And you think, oh, I've read this many times. Well, how did I miss this? 
And sometimes God says, well, you didn't need it before, but you need it now. And so let me just walk you through a couple of verses that have become very, very special to me. Genesis or, uh, chapter 12, it begins and says in verse 1, The Lord said to Abram, by the way, I liked how that starts. Do you realize when God speaks, anything can happen? When God spoke, a universe came into being. When Jesus spoke, a dead person walked out of a tomb. Imagine what could happen when God speaks to you. Do you understand you are one word from God away from the greatest walk with God you've ever had? You might have walked in here without hope. One word from God and you could be filled with it. You might have walked in here addicted and in bondage. and One word from God could set you free. God speaks to Abram at 75 years old and his life is never the same again. Notice what he says. He says, go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to a land that I will show you. By the way, when God speaks, it often requires going. God doesn't, rarely does God speak and say, be happy. He often speaks and says, get going. Do you remember the disciples, Peter and Andrew? They were in their boat. Jesus spoke to them. And he said, come follow me. He didn't say, I hope you're having a blessed day. (laughs) He said, come follow. Get out. Get going. My dad used to always say, the problem with a lot of Christians is they want to follow Jesus, but they don't want to get out of their boats. They want to stay where they are. And and God says to, to Abram, get out. And you're going to go to a land that I will show you. Now, I don't know how many of you would be willing to go to the airport in Cape Town and pack your bags and then wait to find out where you were going. We kind of like to know ahead of time. God could have told Abram, couldn't he? Could have said, get pack your bags. You're going to go to Canaan. He just says, get moving. And I've I've counseled many people that were trying to know God's will. And they said, well, I want to know what God wants me to do for my life. I want to know what, it, what I should be doing 10 years from now. And sometimes all God tells you is what to do today. And I have found often, if you want to know God's will, get moving. If you know what to do today, move into today. And if you know tomorrow, keep moving in that direction. And you know what? One day you'll be 20 years down the road right where God wants you to be. But I've known people who sat the same place for 30 years waiting until they knew the whole end of the road before they began moving. People, God wants his people to get going. And he says, get going. Now, by the way, what's interesting to me, of course, we, we know this story. God is going to tell him to go to Canaan, the promised land. He doesn't tell him at the beginning, but that's where Abram's going to go. That's where God's taking him. And it's interesting, if you look up a couple of verses into chapter 11... We're introduced to Abram's father, Terah. Terah grew up in Ur of the Chaldeans. It's a a city just down the road from Babylon. And and Ur was a place that worshipped the moon, a moon god. And we're told in chapter 11 that that Terah had three sons. And one of his sons, um, Nahor, died. And I wish the Bible gave us more details. I'd love to know why, how he died. Because he dies before his father, so we know it's premature. And, and for some reason, after his son dies, uh, Tara says, we're not staying here anymore. We're leaving. And so he decides, we're going to go somewhere else. And where do you think Tara planned to go? To the promised land, to, to Canaan. He, Abram's father 
journeyed toward the promised land, toward Canaan. But he only gets several hundred kilometers down the road to a city called Haran, and he stops. And again, I would love to know why he stopped. He planned to go to Canaan. He only got as far as Haran. And it just says he stopped. Can I tell you, one of the saddest things I ever see is when someone lets the dream God gave them die. When they were a young person, they had visions of being a missionary. They had visions of of, of, of doing things for the Lord. They, they, when they were young, they loved to get up early in the morning and just spend time with God. But, but, but as time went on, they lost the vision, the dream of what God had given them. And Terah dreamed of going to Canaan. He only got as far as Haran, and he died. And then when you get to chapter 12, all of a sudden, God comes to Terah's son and says, get moving. I'm going to take you somewhere. Well, where? Well, you'll find out. And lo and behold, he, he, he takes him all the way into the place his father dreamed of going. Can you imagine what Abraham thought when he walked into Canaan? He's looking around. I imagine he must have said, my dad dreamed of coming here. We used to sit around the dinner table and he would talk about how wonderful it will be when we get to, to Canaan, but he never made it. And I believe that one of God's plans is that every generation should stand on the spiritual shoulders of the generation before them. And Terah, he, 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 he moved in the right direction, but God got Abraham all the way in. Have you ever known people, they, they never made it to college, they never went to university, but they were determined their children were going to go? And then their grandchildren ended up becoming university professors, and they just kept standing on the shoulders. Uh, my, my grandfather, I have a picture of my grandfather here. This is the... the the boy on the right is my father, and he's walking with his father. And his father, when he was a young man, he felt called to be a pastor. And so he went to his pastor. He said, Pastor, I, I, I think God wants me to be a pastor. And you know what his pastor said? He said, you're too smart and talented to waste your life being a pastor. And he was a pastor. And he discouraged my grandfather from becoming a pastor. He said, you should go into business. And so he did. But in his heart, he knew God wanted more than that for him. And so when my father was a young adult, he went to a a rally for young people, and the speaker challenged everybody to say, wherever God wants you to go, would you be willing to say yes to God and go? And my father that night walked down that aisle, and he said, and, and and he just knew God wanted him to be a pastor. And he, and he came around the corner, and, and they had enlisted uh, godly lay people to be uh, 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 counselors across the front of the auditorium. So my father came around the corner to the first counselor he found, and guess who it was? It was his father. And he said, Dad, I think God's calling me to be a pastor. And his father, for the first time, told him the story when he felt called to be a pastor and how he was given bad counsel. And he said, and so I prayed to God, I have three sons. Would you please call one of my sons to be the pastor that I never got to be? And uh, and so they they had a time of tears and celebration. And and my my grandfather died before my father ever really got going. He went to his ordination, and then he died not long after that. Never knew that his father would become a world-renowned Christian author. Didn't, never knew that all five of my dad's and mom's children would enter the ministry as well. All four sons are, would be pastors. His daughter would be a missionary. And that, uh, and that all of my three children are in Christian ministry today. 
My brother's children, many of the grandchildren now are in ministry as well. My, my two boys actually wrote a book together. They've written several books together, but they had an interesting one uh, that came out last year, God, Heroes, and Everyday Dragons. And I've I just wished that I had thought to put a dragon on one of my book covers. <laughs> it I'm sure it would have done a lot better. They have a book coming out this year that they've written together on apologetics. Uh, my, their, my, my grandfather's great-grandsons in ministry. My oldest son is a church planter in Canada today. And they're writing apologetics books. I, I, I just wonder if when my father reunited with his father yesterday, if you didn't say, you remember how you wanted to be a pastor? We've got dozens of them now. That won't matter everywhere you turn. There's a black of a pastor. Uh, you sort of stood on the shoulders. And so God comes to Abram and he, and he says, just get going. Trust me. I'm going to take you to a good place. It, I'm not going to be cruel to you. You're, you'll look back and be so glad you went where I told you to go. And he says, uh, I will bless you. I'll make your, he says, I will make your name great. And, and what he means by that is not that he'll make him famous, but that he will give him a great, your name represents your character. And God is saying, Abram, I'm going to give you, a, I'm going to make you a man of God. I'm going to give you the character of God. Um, and so, and, he's, and then he just keeps saying, I'll bless you and I'll make you a blessing. And uh, in fact, in verses 2 and 3, he uses the word bless or blessing five times. When God says the same thing five times in two verses, you know he has it on his mind. And what God was saying is, listen, if you'll follow me, you'll become a blessing to everybody that you encounter. That's the promise. I also realize from this verse, when you fail to become the man or woman of God that God intends, other people will suffer as a result. God's making you a blessing. And if you ever resist what God is doing in your life, you're gonna, it's going to cost everyone else. God wants to make me a great man of God. But if I say no, my wife will never have the godly husband that God intended for her to have. My children will never have the godly father that God wanted to make me to become. I can't afford not to become everything that God intends. And so God lays that out. And then you get to verse 4. And uh, verse 4, it begins with one small word, so. But it's an enormous word. Because so many times in the Bible, God will speak and then there'll be a so. And you almost hold your breath. If you didn't know the story, when you got to so, you'd almost catch your breath and say, Oh, Abraham, I hope you go. I hope you don't say I'm too old. I hope you don't say I, I can't afford it. But what does it say? It says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old. Isn't that amazing? Um, if you're a senior adult, if you're, if you're, I turned 60 two years ago, and all my children threw me a party. And the whole thing was, you're old now, Dad. <laughs> There's, they put false teeth on my cake. They've, they've got... They've got reading glasses stuck in the cake. They said, Dad, we figure you're going to need all this. And uh, like, they're very cruel, very unkind. They are no longer in my will. But it was, uh, it was funny at the time. And, and I thought, I'm getting old. I guess you're supposed to be slowing down at this point. But God said, listen, I've spent your life building into you. You know God's Word better than you've ever known. You know God better. You've had more wisdom, more experiences, more prayers. What do you mean slow down? I've invested 60 years into your life. You, the, the best days lie ahead of you, not behind you. 
Abram's 75 years old. He's done the same thing all of his life. Has no idea that the most amazing days in his life lie right ahead. Um, 75. So it says that verse 6, he passed through the land to the site of Shechem, which is kind of about in the middle of Israel. And, he, and, and it says, the Lord appeared to him and, and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the, e- the west and I on the east. He built an altar to the Lord there, and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev, or to the desert. Uh, and what's interesting here is that as, as Abram, he doesn't know where he's going. He's just following God. And every time he moves to the next part of the country, he builds an altar. Now, there's no church to go to. There's no, there's no tabernacle he can go to. There's not even a, a, an altar to God he can worship at. So he has to build his own church, and he, and he just collects... I mean, he could just stand under the stars and pray to God if he wants to, but he, but he builds, he gathers big stones and he puts them in a pile, gets wood on it, he offers a sacrifice. He has his own worship time. And the thing about building a stone altar is it stays there. The wind doesn't blow it away. And, and so it was like every time he moved a little bit further, he'd stop and say, okay, God, is this right? Am I in the right place? Have I taken a wrong turn? And God would affirm and say, oh, it's great. I'm going to give your descendants all, look around, it's all going to be yours. And, and, uh, and, and then Abram goes a little further and God speaks again. And so all the way through verse 9, Abram is taking the biggest step of faith in his life and he's just walking with God the whole way. And if this chapter ended at verse 9, Abram would be a hero. But I'll just tell you, I, I usually, when, I, when, when people would preach out of this passage, they'd preach out of the first nine verses. Because Abram is... the father of the faithful. He's a, he's a hero. But I'd never paid much attention to what comes after verse 9. And it says in verse 10, there was a famine in the land. Now, folks, in that day, when you're a shepherd, and you've got all these animals to feed, and you've got people to feed, a famine was the worst crisis you could face. When you don't have food, and you're looking at all these people wanting to eat, it's a crisis. And, uh, and I've often wondered, maybe you've had this experience where you're, you're following what God told you to do. And, and what we assume is that when we obey God, He gives us plenty. He blesses us. But, but we're not prepared to take a step of faith and run right into a famine. Why does God let believers go through famines? I want to say, God, send the famine to, to an atheist. He's not following you anyway. But why should I have a famine? I've done everything you said. And I'll tell you what, that's one of the most confusing things you'll ever face, is when you obey God and your life gets harder instead of easier. And, and, and so what does Abram do? He does what everybody did. It says, um, and so Abram went down to Egypt to stay there for a while. Now, did God tell him to go to Egypt? God told him to go to Canaan. Egypt is not Canaan. Have you ever tried to convince yourself that Egypt was Canaan? You knew what God told you to do, but that seemed too hard. Well, God, this isn't all that far away. It's close. And and notice he says he went there for a while. In other words, God, I know I'm being disobedient right now, but I, I, I won't be disobeying for long. Have you ever done that? God, I know you were telling me to get up early in the morning, spend time with you, but I've been really tired lately, so I'm just going to take a little break from my time with you, but only for a while. 
God, I, I know that I committed to give to missions or to support that missionary, but my car just broke down. And so I'm going to take a break from doing what I promised you, but only for a while. Have you ever done that? And told God, this is just temporary disobedience. My dad would call temporary disobedience disobedience. You're not obeying anymore. And so Abram says, well, I know God told me to go to Canaan, but that's too hard right now. So I'm going to get as close to Canaan as I can without being in Canaan. (laughs) I'm just going to go down to Egypt. And so notice then what he says. He says um, in verse 11, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Now, that's he's not doing bad there, is he? That's never a bad thing to say to your wife. Uh, but But he says, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me, but let you live. Please say you're my sister, so it will go well for me because of you, and my life will be spared on your account. I think this is one of the lowest points in his life. Do uh, you notice his pronouns? Is anyone an English teacher here? He keeps talking about me, my life, my account. What is he? Now, remember what God said he was going to make him to be to his family? A blessing. Hey, you, you let me build your character and go with me. You'll be a blessing to your family and every other family on earth. What is he doing to his wife right now? He's, he's turning her into a liar. Just lie. Why, why should you lie? So it goes well for me. Not for you. He doesn't say, Sarai, I'm really concerned about you. So let's figure out what we can do so it will be best for you. This man isn't concerned about his wife. He's concerned about him. Very, very selfish. And so sure enough, he, it says he gets down to Egypt. And when he gets there, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. So the woman was taken to Pharaoh's household. He treated Abram. Now notice this. This is what I had not noticed before. It says, he treated Abram well because of her. And Abram acquired flocks and herds, male and female donkeys, male and female slaves, and camels. In other words, he got rich. He disobeyed God and he got rich. Um, By the way, I think this is when he got Hagar. Uh, If you know the story of Hagar, a few chapters later, she's a slave from Egypt. And this is where the Pharaoh... Now, she's going to cause Abram a whole new set of problems later, isn't he? Um, you see, when, you di- when, you, when you're not where God wants you to be, bad things can happen. And sometimes you may be paying the price for years to come because you weren't where God wanted you to be. But you know, a lot of us assume that if we're making more money than we've ever made before, God must be happy with us. It's, God must be blessing us. But don't assume that. Abram has never been richer and he's never been farther or more displeasing to God. His wife now is in Pharaoh's harem trying to avoid Pharaoh. She's not feeling... If you asked her, are you feeling really blessed since Abram started walking with God? She would say, I'm running for my life right now. She's not being blessed, but he's making money. Don't assume because you're making money you're blessed. I, I, I was speaking at a church in the States several years ago, and, I, and the pastor picked me up at the airport. He said... Normally, we'd put you in a hotel, but we have a, someone in our church who's he's worth about 900 million U.S. dollars. And he lives in a huge mansion. And he's offered to let you stay at his house. I said, well, I've never stayed at an almost billionaire's house before. That would be interesting. And so we drove, and it's this massive, massive property. 
massive mansion, fountains, lakes. He had a whole forest in the back part of his property. And uh, I go in there and they say, now you're not even going to stay in this, the main mansion because he's got a, a guest house that you'll stay in. And, and he'll just take care of whatever you need. It'll be wonderful. Um, and, and as I got to know the man, I discovered that he had a private jet that he flew all around the world. He went on exotic vacations, had a huge collection of nice cars. Um, and I'm just thinking, wow, God has really blessed this man. Look at all of his money. Until I found out that he was on his third marriage. already. He had been divorced three times. He was on his fourth. Um, and that when his oldest son turned 18, he took his son for dinner to a nice restaurant. He said, son, I haven't been the father that you really needed me to be. I've been so busy making money and building my business. But, but he said, I'm going to make it up to you. He said, I'm going to give you anything you want. Anything you want. A car, whatever. Tell me what you want. As near you're a man now, I'll buy it for you. And his son looked at him across that table and said, what I want more than anything else is not to live in the same house that you live in. And so this man lived in a big, big empty house. And the reason he would fly on exotic vacations was because none of his family wanted him to be with them during the holidays. And on Sunday, I preached a sermon. And at the close of the sermon, that man came to the front of the church and he was just weeping. And when I finally came to see what, what was going on, he, the whole service had come to an end. People were leaving, and he's still at the front. And I went over to see if I could help him, and he just looked at me with tears streaming down his face. He said, there's no joy in my life. But you see what Abram did? When God said, "Go follow me, Abram was walking by faith. He was, ma- he was, he was making his decisions based on faith. But when he goes to Egypt, he's making decisions based on fear. And fear will take you to some really bad places. Folks, I'll tell you, the moment that you're trying to make a decision because you're afraid of doing what God said, you're going to end up in a bad place. And Abraham gets scared, and he says, let's go to Egypt. And he's making money, but his family's in the worst shape it's ever been in. And verse 17 says, but the Lord struck Pharaoh and his household with severe plagues because of Abram's wife. So, so how's, how, are the Egyptian, how are Abram's Egyptian neighbors doing? They're, they're, the plagues are coming down. How's, he, how's Pharaoh doing? Say, hey, Pharaoh, how's it been going ever since that Hebrew came down and lives in Egypt? It says it's never been worse. But God said, if Abram did things his way, he'd be a blessing to everybody around him. Folks, that's one of the ways I know if I'm in God's will or not. If my wife's not being blessed, I think I'm not quite in the, the, the land of Canaan the way God wants me to be. If my children aren't being blessed, I'm not, I can't be the man of God that God's been trying to make me to become. Because when God builds your character, you're a blessing to everybody around you. If I were to walk to your family and just ask your, the, the children, so do you feel really blessed having your parents? If I went to where you work and I talked to your colleagues and said, is it a blessing having that guy work with you? If I, if I talked to your clients and customers, and just said, is it a blessing every time you transact business with this Christian business person? What would they say? I think when you're where God wants you to be, they say, I wish that I had a hundred more people just like him to, to be able to relate to. But what, notice what Pharaoh does he, when he figures... Now, by the way, this is the sad part. If I were Abram 
and my wife has been taken out of my house, carted off to Pharaoh's harem tent, and I haven't seen her in a while. But I'm at home counting up my money. At some point, I hope I feel guilty. I hope I think, you know, I haven't seen her for a while. (laughs) Maybe I need to wander down to Pharaoh's house and say, hey, there's been a, a misunderstanding here. I, I may have led you to believe that she's just my sister, but she's actually my wife. I need to have, I'm not leaving until you give her. Abram never does confess and admit. What happens is Pharaoh figures it out. And as soon as he does, Pharaoh says, What have you done to me? Can I tell you, it's pretty pitiful when unbelievers are appalled at how Christians behave. When unbelievers say, even I wouldn't treat someone like that. And I don't even profess to follow God. Pharaoh is appalled at how Abram has behaved. And only then does Abram finally admit what he's done. Uh, Can I just tell you, um, God has really challenged me to strive to be a man of God that honors my wife, honors my children, honors my God. And I see Abram right here, and I'm disgusted with him. He's no man of God. He, th- he literally sacrificed his wife to save his own skin. While she is in bondage, he's counting up his money. And he never even feels guilty enough to, to make things right. That's despicable. That's despicable. And we almost don't even want to look at that. That's why I suppose I never heard a sermon about this, because we all admire Abraham. Because of who he became. We don't, we don't even want to see this sorry, sorry moment in his life. But you know what encourages me about this? By the way, would you, how long does it take God to give someone a child? Nine months, right? Nine months. How long does it take God to give Abram a child? 25 years. Why does God take so long? How long? I mean, it only would have taken nine months, right? If that's all that God wanted to do. Why does God wait for 25 years to give Abram his son? Because can you imagine this man raising Isaac? Isaac, let me, today's lesson is how to lie to people. (laughs) How to discount your money while all your family is just being destroyed. God was saying, you're not going to raise a patriarch. I want Isaac to be raised by a patriarch. But you can't give to others what you don't have yourself. And it's going to take God 25 years to get this man ready to raise a man of God. If you're not a man of God, you're not going to raise somebody to be a man of God. They might become one despite you, but you're not going to raise them. And so it takes 25 years. And then, uh, but, but the last thing I just say about this is, um, so what does Abram do? The Pharaoh, an unbeliever, rebukes him. By the way, this Pharaoh's a lot smarter than the Pharaoh under Moses, isn't he? As soon as he starts having plagues, he's like, get these people out of here. <laughs> Moses' Pharaoh was a little thicker-headed, I guess. But, uh, but so what does he do? By the way, you know, uh, what encourages me with this is Moses, Abram ha- here is pathetic. But what does God make him become? A hero of the faith. Folks, I want to tell you something. If God can take a man like this and make him a model of faith for all the generations to come, he certainly could take your life and make you a wonderful man or woman of God. You are not so far into Egypt that God can't bring you back 
and make something beautiful out of you as well. Don't, don't you come to me and say, I'm too far gone. Rich, if you knew my story, you'd say it was hopeless. <laughs> hey, take a good look at Abraham. Uh, and so what does he do? Well, if you read into the next chapter, you know what he does? Abraham goes back to Bethel. He goes back to the last place he was walking with God, to that altar that's still standing there from when he was close to God. And when people ask me, so many people have said to me, Richard, I used to be so passionate for God. I used to love to pray to God. I used to love to, to, to evangelize for God. I, 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 I used to serve in my church all the time, but I just feel like I, I'm not there anymore. Something's happened. My heart, my life, I've moved somewhere. I used to be in the promised land. It was joy. I had joy in the Lord. But, I, but if I were to be honest, I would have to say, I'm not there anymore. And I don't know how to get back. What do I do? How do I get back to that walk with God I once had? And I would say, go back to Bethel. Ask God, where's that place where we had sweet fellowship together? Where I was walking in joy in the Lord where I had victory, where I could sense your presence in my life. I haven't sensed that for a long time. Is it possible to go back? The great thing about stone altars is they're still there when you go back. And you go back and you say, God. And by the way, it doesn't tell us what happened. But, but I have a feeling that when Abram got back there, God was not standing there frowning and saying, it's about time you got back here. I have a feeling God had his arms outstretched saying, welcome home. Welcome home. Are you ready to do things my way now instead of your way? Um, there's still so much I want to do in your life, Abram. Are you ready? I'm so eager to get to work on your character and to make you a man of God that I know you can become. And God and, and Abram begins the journey. And by the way, uh, you, know, you know in chapter 13 that famous story where Lot's uh, flocks and Abram's flocks, there's too many of them. They can't all stay in the same pasture. And so they, they look out over the promised land, and in the east is Sodom and Gomorrah and beautiful gardens and, and lush pasture land. And in the west is a desert. And Abram, of course, he's the senior of the group. He, he, he's the uncle. He deserves, he just took Lot along for the ride. So he's, he, he fully deserves to tell Lot, look, I'm 75 years old. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to, eke out an existence in a desert? You're the youngster. You go to the desert. I get the green pastures. But see, if Abram was still living by fear, that's what he would have done. But now he's returned to being a person of faith. And so what does he realize? He realizes that he'd rather have God in a wilderness than to be without God in a lush garden. Um Folks, I'll tell you what, I'd rather be in a hard place with God than in an easy place without Him. And, uh, and you know what's so fascinating? If you study the life of Abram, um, Abraham is the only person in the Bible, you can check this out, where God specifically calls him his friend. Now, there's places in the Bible where God will say, you are my friends if you do whatever I say. And he, he, he tells his disciples in general, you're, you know, you're my friends now. I call you friends and so on. But, but the only person that gets named specifically, that is a friend of mine, is Abraham. Uh, by the way, we all know God is our friend. But how many, who, who of us does God look at as his friend? Only person I know is Abraham. That's a long journey, isn't it? 
from selling your wife out to save your own neck to God looking at you and saying, now that is someone I call my friend. That's the grace of God. Uh, And so I just want to just leave you with a couple of questions as I would close tonight. The first one is, are you right now, is your life, your walk with God, is it in Canaan or are you in Egypt? Did you somehow get off track? And tonight, if you were really to be on, now you're here in church, but folks, you can attend church and not be in God's will. You can be in church and still be living in Egypt. On the outside, you look like you're in Canaan. (laughs) But you know in your heart, I'm not where God wants me to be. I'm far from where God wants me to be. And if you are, uh, secondly, I would just ask you, could you say with complete honesty right now, my life and my walk with God is a blessing to the people around me? People asked my dad, they said, how did all five of your children end up in the Christian ministry full time? We've been in, in fact, not only did they all go in the ministry, 40 years later, they're all five are still in the ministry, 40 years later. And they said, how did they do that? And my dad's answer was, I knew that my children would be watching my life all the time. So I prayed that God would give me a walk with God that was so vibrant, that was so joyful, that was so victorious, that my children would all look at my life and they would say, if that is what it means to be a Christian, then I want to be one too. And that's what we did. And the last question I would just ask you is, do you need to return to Bethel? Do you need to go back to where your prayer life was passionate, to your your boldness for Christ was zealous, and the joy of the Lord just overflowed in your life? If you're not there, you need to journey back to Bethel. It might not be as far for each of you, But I'll tell you what my dad used to say. If you're just a millimeter away from where God wants you to be, you're too far away. Get back. Get back. And I'll just tell you something. I'm at an age now in my life, I don't want to waste one more day of my life not in God's will. Because every day I'm not in God's will, people aren't getting blessed the way God intended. And I want to be a blessing every day God gives me left. And so I'm going to just take a moment to pray for you. And I, I'll tell you what, you're, you've got amazing staff here. And I know you've got some amazing just church members, godly men and women here. And uh, I would just encourage you before you leave the building, even uh, maybe as you're going to get some coffee, grab hold of your pastor, grab hold of one of these wonderful men and women of God and say, would you just pray with me? I, I think I need to make my way back to Bethel. I've been in Egypt just too long. And, I w- and it's okay if I suffer in Egypt, but my wife, my kids, my husband should not be suffering because I stay in Egypt instead of going to Canaan. And so let me just pray for you for a moment, and I'll be done. Lord, thank you for this wonderful church, their heart for you, their passion for you. But Lord, I just know that if, e- if Abram could get off the right path, then I certainly could. If Abram could become so self-focused that he wasn't even aware of how much he was hurting his own family, then I could become way too self-focused. And so, God, it's hard sometimes to admit that we're in Egypt when you told us to go to Canaan. But, God, would you give us the humility, the honesty, to just say, I'm not going to stay in Egypt any longer. Every day I stay here is one more day of my life that's wasted. 
And so give us the courage, Lord, to turn our sights back toward the promised land and to make our way to Bethel. And Lord, when we get there, I know that you will welcome us and we'll find the joy once again and the power once again. And we'll wonder why it took us so long to come home. Thank you for this church. May May there be those, even tonight, who humbly and joyfully make their way back to you. And I would pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.